Welcome to today's episode. It's May 15th, and we're here to discuss the first three-hour-long installments of City on Fire, a new show on Apple TV based off the 2015 novel and adapted by the duo who developed Gossip Girl. The show is a whodunit mystery that centers around the lives of five distinct groups of individuals, all interconnected in various ways. It stars one of the kids from It, one of the bodies from Bodies, 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 and one of the girls from Girls, as well as many others. Without further ado, let's jump into it. This and Panic. Which one is better? Panic, the uh, teen show about the girl who jumps off the cliff, right? Yes, at the end of the first episode. Which is better? I think actually Panic was better. Panic was better than this? Yeah. What makes you say that? Well, that gets into my cons of the show, but like there's just a lot. It's very uh, directionless. If I had to give it a directionless? Yeah, that would be my main. uh, Because it's called City on Fire, right? Yeah. We're in New York. There's actually a club in New York called Fire that I was recommended to a long time ago. So I was like, maybe (laughs) it has to do with that. No, this has like, when I say five different groups of like distinct storylines that were just connected, like that sounds like it could be interesting. But if it's just five kind of boring storylines that are kind of connected, then it's not interesting. Direction. I am shocked to hear you say that because they've gotten people for this show that have worked on so many other things. They've gotten people who worked on Gossip Girl, but Gossip Girl no, was No, no, not just Gossip Girl. Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, the people that created this show, have created a ton of other shows. I want to see if you guess which one they haven't created out of my list here. Yeah, go uh, for it. Pretty Little Liars, The O.C. Not that, that, that one, right? They haven't done Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> okay, so you guessed it right off the yeah, bat. Yeah, like... Oh, if the Pretty Little Liars group also created Gossip Girl, which I think we're on at the same time, at least a little bit. Uh, like Gossip that would Girl be... came out in 2007. I think Pretty Little but Liars came out in But it ran until like 2012, right? Yeah. And Pretty Little Liars came out in like 2010, right? Yeah. So like they did cross over, but it, it, I would have remembered, I think, the t- television ads, especially since they were on different networks. Or yeah, the... no, yes. they were different networks. Different networks. One yeah. was CBW, one was ABC Family. But they also created the OC. They were even nominated for a Writers Guild Award for the pilot for that. And they co-created Chuck. I think they actually created it just as a team, Chuck. They also wrote, executively produced, and co-show ran the I show. really like Chuck. Yeah. So I will give them credit for that, and I will say, good job. Well, not not only that, though. Then you're talking about the directors that they got for this thing. It seems like they got four different directors. Mm-hmm. All of them are writing two episodes in order. So but Wait, the directors don't write the episodes, but the directors... They're directing two yeah, episodes. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, the directors I have no problem with. The show is a... It's an Apple show, so it's going to look really cool, but it's not going to necessarily translate to what you're reading or what you're, like, seeing the people act out, you know? It's like their storylines are based off strictly what the writing thing. And I don't know how much it draws directly from the book or not. I know the main difference is the timeline. The book takes place in the 1970s. This takes place in 2003. Wow. That actually changes a lot. I think that that would make it better. If it took place in the 70s? Yes, because a lot of this, the tropes that I, I think are an issue are because of the time that it takes place. But it is cool seeing it's taking place in 2003. (laughs) I'm not knocking it for that. But there's a lot of things it's trying to use to its advantage because of the 2003 storyline, like 9-11. It makes more sense why they're concentrating so much on the music element, because I think in the 70s, there was that, in the 60s and the 70s, there was a huge swell of, like, uh, youth who was, like, really into music. Yeah. And the main character, Sam here, who gets shot in the first episode, her big deal is that she's, like, way into photography, way into music, and that's more of a 70s-type character. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, Samantha getting shot. I really wanted to focus on that for a second. Yeah. Because Wyatt Olaf, who plays Charlie, said that that's kind of a turning point for his character. She calls him Charles, just to say. 
Yeah. But he says that's a turning point for his character. And I'm wondering, like, what exactly does that mean? Well, like, the first episode plays out sort of like it's a coming-of-age story for Charlie. His dad died in the North Tower, and he's in therapy, and then he leaves his therapy in New York City, to, and he runs into Sam, who used to go to his high school, and they kind of hit it off, and she takes him under her wing, and he kind of falls in love with her. He's sort of a wallflower type person, so he's like just going to follow her around like a, a Labrador puppy, <laughs> and, and, uh, and just hang out with her. Uh, she takes him to a New Year's party. He gets really sick there. And then when he comes home, he gets grounded for six months. And the next time he sees her, they go off hanging to this band together. And that's where we meet the um, the, the phalanx. And then they recruit him into their like uh, arson group, which or pyromania group, where they just start fires around the city. So is Sam dead? Sam is shot in the head. And this is this is kind of an issue for me. So... For a while, it just seemed like maybe she had the Wolverine thing where it's just the bullet is just at her skull and it's going to fall out. Like, I thought maybe she had gone into a coma because it had hit her skull. She was shot with a 38, so a small handgun, and it just didn't actually go into the brain. Right. But then we see an x-ray. They stick an x-ray up for us, and you can see the bullet is lodged deep into her brain. She's not coming out of this normally. At least that's what it should be. They shouldn't have shown us that x-ray. <laughs> had they not, had they just said, okay, it deflected off the skull. She's in a coma. We're not sure if she's going to wake up. Okay, I would have been completely fine with that. They showed the bullet so deep inside her head. There's no way that it didn't she'll go coming back, into yeah. her brain. No, she'll be coming back. But I think the show's going to try to say, oh, no, she's no, okay. No, but I'm saying that, like, you're saying the x-ray in real life, the actual person would not be surviving that. Not that they wouldn't survive it, but that they, would, they wouldn't be the same. Okay, so we've covered Samantha. We've covered Charlie. I want to talk about Regan Hamilton Sweeney. Yeah, and you said it right, because a lot of people would say Reagan, but her name is Regan. She's upper class, so it's like regal. And like you said, it's Regan Hamilton Sweeney and her husband, Keith. She's played by Jemima Kirk, who played an antagonistic character in season three of Sex Education. She was the the one in Girls, Yeah. So what's her character like? Is she evil here, too? Is she an antagonist? She's not an antagonist. No, she's she's going through a divorce because her husband, Keith, cheated on her. And Keith, I had just seen in Succession. He's also from The Code. He's also from Designated Survivor. Fear Street films, all three of them, a teacher, the Pacific. And even an episode of The Slap, the Australian version. Well, yeah, because uh, yeah. again, The Code was an Australian show that he starred in. Um, that was where I first saw him. But he is actually having an affair with Sam. And that's what Regan finds out about in a kind of cryptic note that she gets, who I, which we don't know exactly who sent it. But I think it was Armory, who's kind of her evil uncle, who also played Joe Exotic. Um, in the uh, Joe V. Carroll. Yes, exactly. So Keith and Regan are, are Keith wants to get back together with Regan. He ended things with Sam, but Sam still wanted to talk to Keith the night that she was shot. So he was a suspect also because he was doing drops we see in a like past uh, flashback where he was just doing a drop with a stack of bills in an envelope and we don't know who he was dropping it off for. We know he has the handgun. I I, I think it was the his kid, they're like 10-year-old, uh, Regan's and Keith's 10-year-old, who shot Sam. So it's, okay, so that's interesting. Or, like, on accident or, or on purpose? Well, so he snuck out the night that Sam got shot, right? And then we see him running back at the end. He either saw who shot her or shot her herself. I think, uh, because he, I think, was going out to kill a bird that his sister had seen. 
he's kind of messed up because of the whole divorce situation between Regan and Keith. Mm -hmm. And so I think he was just mad. I think his sister saw a cool looking bird and he was like, I'm going to kill that bird. So he went, grabbed his dad's gun. Um, and then, <laughs> and then he went to Central Park, killed the bird. And then I don't know, dropped the gun and someone else killed her. And he saw who did it or he accidentally shot her. But we, all we see from Sam um, right before she gets shot is her recognizing and saying, oh, hi, that type so of thing. She, okay, yeah, right. So there's a few people on my suspect list. I don't think it's Keith, even though we're led to believe that he might be the killer because he ditches the party that she was waiting for him at and uh, he knew where she was. It could be Sol. It could be one of the Phalanx members. Like, she's supposed to be friends with that whole entire band, but it seems like she wasn't as okay with them blowing shit up as uh, we would be led to believe. But as, why would as someone? Would be, why would someone in the Phalanx group shoot someone? So the, no, the Phalanx group is like a cover. So they they used to be a bigger band, and then they the their main guy dropped off. We haven't talked about him. His name is Billy Three Sticks or Will. Um, he is a very big trope because he's this genius musician who flushed his career down the toilet with drugs, also happens to be gay, and he also, well, also happens to be the black sheep of an uber-rich family. So they kind of threw everything they could possibly into his character. He drops out of the band um, that used to be ex post facto or something like that. They become the phalanx, and then from there, they start stealing fireworks and explosives from someone, and they're planning to just blow up a bunch of shit. And we don't know if they're going to eventually do that vindictively to a point where they start hurting people but right now we've seen them blow up a few buildings and charles is now involved because he kind of got grouped into them once he told them about sam getting shot and they also took uh him under their wing and that's where we kind of leave it in the it third seems episode. like charles is kind of like a bad character or someone like why do you say redeemable? that because you're saying that the second that he learned about samantha he kind of ditched her didn't even help her like what you call the police yeah i did anything. have a little bit of an issue with that but he was high on coke so it was like everything was happening at once and uh i guess i can forgive him since he is supposed to be like a teenager but then he suddenly joins a group that wants to but that group is up. sam's friends like yeah. Sam knew them personally, and so he goes to tell them about that, and then he also talks about how his dad died and how he's grieving, and that's where they're like, okay, we can take this kid in. The only one who's kind of against it is uh, Sol, who is Sewer Girl's boyfriend. And uh, there's just, yeah, between Nikki, Sewer Girl, and Sol, I don't know if they're the best uh, people to be um, kind of his mentors right now. <laughs> so what were the pros of this show? What did you like about it? Okay, so the pros of the show, the intro is pretty cool looking. It's like a cartoon chalk drawing newspaper high school notebook type deal. And since Sam was such a creative artist, it kind of makes sense. And you do see some of the plot within it if you're looking closely. Um, the music, because I think they created music for the show, the, the Phalanx itself, or the ex post facto, um, their their music, when they sing, is kind of like an Arctic Monkeys 2003, The Strokes, mm -hmm. that type of like alternative slash punk um, uh, music. Uh, and and it's, it's not amazing. It's not like I would go purchase it on iTunes or whatever people do. But it's Spotify. nice with the times. Yeah, yeah, it worked. And then NYC, seeing that in 2003... We have missing posters um, from people from 9-11. You have Ground Zero, which they actually show, which was kind of cool. Bloomberg signs because he's running for office. Flip phones. Um, one of the things that was kind of odd is that Sam, again, was really into music, but she wasn't into like going to Z Records or any of those type of the places you'd see in like Times Square. She, yeah. was, she was all about the vinyl. 
So again, that plays back into the, how it could have taken place in the 70s because she's way more about the classic stuff. And like even her camera looked like it was from the 70s as opposed to something you see yeah, in Yeah, I saw they kept on showing a picture whenever I was clicking on articles where she's like, it's big and bulky. That's right? another mystery. So like uh, Charlie asks her about the camera and she says it's missing. And she doesn't say where, but clearly that's going to come into play later on when we see a backflash as to why it's missing. Um, also, okay, so... I told you about the drug addict who's always high on like heroin or something, but he, <laughs> before his boyfriend realizes that Will is still a drug addict, still doing drugs behind his back, that uh, they go to this meeting, this fancy meeting where um, his publicist, Will's publicist says, hey, so what have you been working on? We need to get you out there. Your message has been dead since ex post facto. People have been asking me if you're dead. And uh, Will's like, okay, um, I I'm, I'm getting there. You know, I'm still working in the workshop. And they're like, let's go to the workshop. Let's see what you've been doing. Mm. And so they go to the workshop. And it's a really funny sign, uh, thing because he pulls out this stop sign that he's replaced the letters to that now says spot sign. <laughs> and he starts going into how amazingly smart it is. And his boyfriend, Bursar, is just staring at it like, this is what you've been working on for six months. So that was pretty funny. It's literally just the T and the P flipped. Yes. Like, literally cut out and flipped, and he's, it's a spot sign. Yeah, so those are the pros. Uh, other than that, I have cons. Do you have any comparisons at all? Uh, yeah, tons of them. So Jessica Jones, because of the New York setting, also sort of the mystery, private eye type vibe that you get. Dear Edward, so I didn't talk about uh, Charles in this way, but he looks like a merge or factory model of what you would get if you were to take the kid from Dear Edward and then the depressed twin from the Big Door Prize and blend them together. Mm -hmm. That's what you get. This this guy looks exactly like that. He was the first name that they, that was announced for the show. He also played the young Peter Quill in the first two Guardians of the Galaxy films. Yeah, if yeah, that yeah. Places it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, go on. Yeah, so in Dear Edward, that's all about tragedy in New York affecting a whole wide range of people. Except they do it way better, and the drama is way stronger. Um, this is supposed to draw upon that because you've got 9-11 and again, Sam's attempted murder. Broadchurch. So the one part of the story I haven't talked about yet is Detective Ollie. He is working on Sam's case and he's also a connecting factor to all the different people because he's going around interviewing and trying to find uh, really Charles because he knows that he, she was hanging out with him that same night. So his thing is that he's sort of like the same detective that you would see in all these kind of cool detective series like Broadchurch because uh, his or, or House even because he's got a limp. Um, and so he goes around targeting suspects and, and trying to figure out what's going on. But he seems like a good guy overall. He also finds the pants that were ditched by Charles. And that's how he first, they're like size 28. And there's not that many dudes who would fit into that. Um, Watchful Eye, because you've got a bunch of rich assholes living next to Central Park where this murder or uh, attempted murder happened. And they're throwing parties. They're blackmailing. Um, Regan's whole storyline is that her dad is getting, um, I think, arrested for like embezzlement or tax fraud or something. But he has dementia and, and Armory, who might actually be the one who's like the villain of the series, um, is is trying to manipulate it so that he gets all the power. So you, you sort of have like this just like constant this is why the stories don't really make sense altogether or why there's too much of a distraction and they're not really going in one direction that you want to really follow. Also reminds me of Pistols and Fight Club because you've got this band. Pistols, a TV show? Pistols, the, yeah, because you've got the band and they're works, working together. They're, they're all kind of like angry at each other, but at the same time in love with each other. It's weird, especially Sewer Girl because she keeps on jumping around to different guys. And uh, they're secretly a front group for just pyromania. Like I said, that was probably the best and worst line of the series when he when Charles was like, I thought you guys were just a cover band. And it's like, you don't get it, man. 
or and this is actually the girl who said it, so it doesn't sound like that. But uh, it, the band is the cover. <laughs> like, it's the cover for our actual fight club, which is basically just blow shit up. Um, and then Saint X, because uh, we've got someone who gets injured or like disappears in the first episode, uh, and they also deal with 2003, like literally the year 2003. So I'm not surprised to hear you say a lot of shows that we've done for the podcast, because the directors they got for this, Jesse Peretz and Hafea Almanzor, have done a ton of shows that uh, we've done. Shrink Next Door, Modern Love, Social Distance, uh, The Society, I know we didn't do, but The Wilds, Archive 81, Tales of the Walking Dead, specifically the episode I watched, Mayfair, which is in Florida, man are both of their kind of careers combined mm-hmm. and so yeah i was surprised but, but like overall what were your cons okay so my cons were that uh we've seen these tropes before again the genius musician you also have the innocent victim that everyone loved dying or, or getting like taken off the board in the first episode from saint x the killing twin peaks mare beast town uh you got a murdered teenage girl in most of those but apple has literally done this before with slow horses where they stick the girl who is supposed to be this free-spirited, smart uh, person who's, like, leading everything into a coma <laughs> for the entire first season. That's what they did in Slow, Slow Horses, and it feels like they're doing it again here. Then you've also got the trope of the evil, conniving, rich people who live on Fifth Avenue, um, just like the watchful eye, and the lone good detective with the disability. And then the plot issues I had were the bullet, the x-ray. Uh, why even show that? Because if you want to bring her back in any form of, like, the way that she was... It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mercer, uh, okay, so the boyfriend, right? Yeah. I didn't talk about him too much. He was the teacher of Regan's kid, and that's how he recognizes the last name. And he's like, hey, do you have a brother? And then that's where she's like, ah, I haven't seen him in 20 years, blah, 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 blah. He gets invited to a party. He puts, uh, Will is in no mood to go to that. He instead goes to the concert of his old band. And so Mercer sticks on Will's suit, his white suit, goes to the party at this rich, swanky Fifth Avenue thing, hangs out with Regan. They smoke a little weed. But besides that, um, when he gets downstairs and he goes across the street to the bus, that's where he starts hearing like weird noises in Central Park and he follows them and he finds um, Sam's body. And that's he's the one who calls the police. He puts his jacket over her and he's like freaking out. And that's at the same time that Charles sees what's going on and he runs away. Um, And so Mercer then gets arrested, though, and questioned about Sam shooting because they find heroin in his pocket. Remember, he took Will's jacket. So he's uh, immediately a suspect. But then he doesn't ask for a lawyer. And he kind of, he has an alibi, but he doesn't use that alibi. He could be like, I remember hearing the gunshots because they did with Regan upstairs. So he couldn't possibly have been the one who shot the gun. And yet he he doesn't say anything about that, maybe to protect her. I don't know. But then they still let him free. And that's where it's like, that doesn't seem very believable. Uh, Charles, yes, he ran away from Sam's body. But I don't understand why he threw his pants in the bush. Even if you are completely high off coke in your head, if you're getting out of there and you don't want anybody to trace you, why would you stick evidence just in a random bush? Like, he doesn't even throw it into a trash can like he could have. Because then that would have just been picked up. Mm -hmm. So that was weird. Also, the fact that his mom seemed to be so conscientious with, like, I'm going to ground you for six months if you show up late and you're drunk one day and then like it feels like he's been taking a few days off since sam got (laughs) shot and he's just been hanging out in new york city not even going home with these uh with this band and like the mom doesn't seem to care until the very end where she sees his face on the news (laughs) and then uh and then there's no real movement it feels like it's pretty clear that 
uh, Regan and Keith's kid has information, but you wait, you tell us that in the first episode, and it's episode four coming along now, and I still don't know anything about it. And there's supposed to be eight episodes. Yeah, we're almost halfway through, and you haven't interviewed the kid who everybody knows has some involvement into it. That's really annoying. So the show is putting too much weight into the audience, thinking that we're going to just either forgive the band or be invested in the band, just going around and throwing fireworks into random stores and blowing them up. I don't understand why that comes across interesting to the writer after the third time that you see it or the second or third time that you see it. It just it, it feels like a dumb, <laughs> dumb thing to do. Um, I, and I, I just don't see why a bunch of 30 year olds would be like, oh, this is the best way to spend our time. So, OK, so then what would you give the show overall? Does it pass? No, 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 it does not. It's it's a 5 out of 10 for me, and I wouldn't watch any more of it. Okay, so the reviews are kind of what you're saying. It's 6.5 on IMDb, but a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Guardian surprisingly gave the show 4 stars, calling it overall quality product from Apple's reliable conveyor belt. However, Variety said it's absent of any standout performances in favor of stereotype over specificity. And then Hollywood Reporter recommended not only avoid watching the TV show, but also to not even read the book. Mm. So, yeah, reviews for it have been kind of negative. I wanted to touch on Don Winslow right before we go. Apparently, this guy has a crazy career. He gets up at 5.30 a.m. and then writes until 10 a.m., takes a, like, six to seven mile walk, and then comes back and starts writing again. Is that crazy? I mean, yeah, I would think so. I mean, I don't know how many people continue to write for that long and then go I on I guess if walk. you're walking for six to seven miles, that's a good two hours or so. So, yeah. I right. mean, he typically works on two books at a time. In fact, he was even supposed to be... So, there's this crazy thing with the Irishman, the Martin Scorsese yeah, Robert I remember. De Niro film, where he the three wrote hour a book. Long film? Yeah, he wrote a book called The Winter of Frankie Machine, that got picked up by Paramount Pictures and was supposed to be directed by Martin Scorsese starring Robert De Niro until Robert De Niro, in like help for his role that he was playing, read I Heard You Paint Houses, a different mm -hmm. book, and then they decided to adapt that book instead of Don Winslow's book as well. But he also has had uh, films come out based off his books, like The Savages he wrote in 2010, Based and that was the Oliver Stone film that came out in 2012. Uh, in 2019, after that was, yeah, I remember seeing that movie and it was like a love triangle slash violent, a violent love triangle. <laughs> I think it got mixed reviews. And it's actually funny you say the thing about the violent love triangle because he's come out with a uh, trilogy called the Cartel Trilogy. It's got critical acclaim. Yeah, I think the Cartel and Savages have something to do with each other. Like, there was definitely a drug element to it. I don't remember if it was because there was, yeah, okay. Whatever. Well, the final film came out, or the final book for the Cartel Trilogy came out in 2019, and he is releasing three more books, another planned trilogy, but that is going to be his final, like, his, uh, his Things final writing. <laughs> like, what, what do he's, you mean? Yeah, he's retiring, he's retiring. After, okay. after those three books. All right. So. Um, yeah, this also continues our trend of shows that don't actually deal with the present storyline. Last time, one we did that was in the present seems to be The Diplomat. Like, every once in a All while... All that time ago. Yeah, uh, every once in a while we'll get shows that have, like, half of it in the present, or, like, with The Class of 09, there was some of it in the present, but, like, well, future, I'm talking about the majority of yeah. it in 2023, and no, we, we haven't done a lot of those lately, so let's see if the next one is. It, it won't be, because it's going to be <laughs> The Black Knight, which takes place in, like, 70 years from now or something. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye.